0: Church, if you would, just let's go to Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. We're going to look at uh, a title that we're going to call this text today is Cleansed by the King. But I want to subtitle this, uh, Reconsidering the Scandalous Grace of Jesus. Reconsidering the Scandalous Grace of Jesus. Have you ever been better at something than you actually, or have you ever thought you you were good at something that you actually were not good at at all? Um, About a month or so, I was invited by a handful of young cats to play basketball. And uh, I stepped onto that court thinking one thing. Uh, I, you know, I'd done a few marathons in the past. I felt like I was in pretty good condition. And so I stepped onto that court uh, assuming that I was, you know, it had been a while. I wasn't going to beast, but I was going to hold my own. And I soon came to realize that every stereotype about white guys on the basketball court was absolutely true with this guy. Uh, Cannot jump, has no crossover, uh, and uh, has weak hips. Like I was dying after two hours of basketball. uh, I had been working out, but this was different. And so as I was walking to my car, I could barely walk, one, could barely breathe, Like the oxygen in the gym got sucked out. Uh, I had no air. And as I was walking to my car, I I thought one thing. This hurts, but it hurts really good. When many of us think about grace, God's grace, we think we've got it. We think we know it. We think we've been around it. We think we understand it. But for many of us, it's a, a theory and not a reality. And what we're going to do today is we're going to allow this story of God's grace that crosses every boundary that we could think possible. And it's going to hurt today, but it's going to hurt really good. And what we want to do is just in these few moments is we want to take the virtual reality glasses. For many of our kids, they put on these glasses and it brings them into a different world. Where you can like, you, you smell, almost like you smell new things, you see new things, you, you, you laugh at new things. It enters you into a world. And we're going to enter into the world of grace today. God's grace that isn't just available for this man, but ultimately is designed for you and I. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. It's a familiar verse, but one that I hope comes alive to us today. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. It's a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from all places. I love how Mark and ultimately all of the Gospels, they like a really good jeweler. They take a diamond and they give you a different perspective of the priceless jewel. What you have in Matthew, Matthew helps us to see the priceless jewel of Jesus, but to see it through the perspective of Jews. Luke is for Greeks uh, unpacking and bringing Jesus to light so that Greeks could see and savor Christ alone. John is for all believers, but Mark, Mark is really cool because Mark is writing to Romans. Uh, the This book is written right around 55 to 60 A.D. What we find is that in Matthew, Matthew talks about this story, but Matthew talks about it in chapter 8. Luke talks about it, but Luke talks about it in chapter 5. Why is is Mark doing this in chapter 1? What is going on with Mark where he's trying to communicate something very clear at the very beginning? What's he doing? Well, let's take a step back and let's really consider Mark. This is John Mark, the same one in Acts chapter 14. John Mark that uh, split up the gang. Barnabas and Paul, this is the man who was, was invited into this journey, but because it was too hard on him, he said, I want out. I want to leave. I want to run away. Paul hated it. Barnabas was like, let's give him another chance. The two got into a disagreement and split as a result of John Mark. Many scholars look at, at the instance where a young boy was next to Jesus when Jesus was getting arrested, and, and they grabbed one young man, By his cloak, and he slips away, naked, running away. Scholars believe that that Mark is writing about himself. You have a man who's run away. And yet gets restored by by the hope of Jesus, by this man, by the king of kings. John Mark gets restored, gets into relationship with Peter. um, As an eyewitness gathers all of the information about Peter, uh, gets restored in his relationship with Paul, and now he's now commissioned to talk to and write a letter to Romans saying one thing, don't run away. The very thing that he did, because he's been restored and redeemed, he's telling this group of Roman believers who were going through the worst persecution the church had known, with a man named Nero at the helm. And they are overwhelmed with questions like, am I going to survive? Is this really worth it? And what Mark is doing, he's saying, no, 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 let me tell you about the king. Now, this is really interesting because Mark starts off his gospel The good news, the beginning, the good news about Jesus, the king, the son of God. Now, what's interesting about that term is that that's how Mark starts off the gospel. It's like a dissertation for a doctoral kind of a whole project. He has a thesis. It's very simple. Jesus is the king. But what's fascinating about this is that starting in about 75 years before Nero, Augustus Caesar, he comes on the scene and he talks, he's trying to describe himself. To others and then commanding them to call him a certain term and he comes up with the perfect synopsis divi phileus son of god and so he commanded and required that everyone had to call him one thing son of god so every emperor from that point to nero called himself the son of god guess what mark does mark comes on the scene he says let me tell you about the real son of god let me introduce you to who he is. Let me tell you about what he does. Let me unpack how this son of God is, is not just the son of God. He's also king. He's king of all. And so what Mark does is he, he lets people know this is the son of God. And guess what? Like the, the demonic get it. They call him the son of God throughout Mark's gospel. The father gets it. At Jesus' baptism, he says, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Guess what? No disciple in Mark's gospel gets it. No one calls him the son of God. So there's there's this ability that all of us have where we can be around something and not truly get it. And what Mark is doing is he's working really hard. This is the Son of God. And so from starting in verse 16 all the way to the end in chapter 1, he goes story after story after story unpacking the authority that Jesus Christ has. He has authority over demons. He has an authority over sicknesses. This, this, God, this is the Son of God who can do all. But Mark crescendos it to this defining moment where there's a face-off with death. And verse 40 starts off, and a man had leprosy. And this was a dead man walking. There's no situation that's worse than this. For many, uh, they looked at leprosy as that which was, a, a person was cursed by God. In fact, you have in Naaman and Deborah, two instances, I'm sorry, Miriam, two instances where where God was the one that gave it and God was the one that took it away. And so they were thinking only God can do this. Only God can take away this disease. But we read this and we, we kind of just skip over because we don't know what leprosy is. We don't know the impact. We're like, okay, he had leprosy. Oh, okay, chapter two. Uh, but let, let me, let's, I, I want to encourage you. I want as a group, remember, we're looking at this through the VR glasses of grace. Let's step into his world just for a second. Imagine five years before this point, you are this dude, and you've come back from a great uh, day of hard work. You've taken care of of your goats, your vineyard, and you come in. Your wife greets you with a big hug, and she she causes your sleeve to come up a little bit. You look down, and there's a, a, a mark. It's scaly. It's hard, but it's small. And you quickly, your stomach, your heart drops to your feet. You put your cloak down and you're just starting to go back through. Oh my goodness, remember what the law says? The law says that if, I'm, if this is really leprosy and leprosy was just, it was an umbrella of 72 diseases that had to do with your skin but this is Hansen's disease, the, the classic leprosy, that, that, that this was a big deal in the law. Leviticus 13 and 14 talk. It's like a dermatology handbook. Yes. But, but as, as he sees this, he covers it. A couple of days goes by and, and he's you're about to take his, his shirt off and, and then his wife sees it. And her heart drops to her feet. And they look at each other without saying a word. And they know what has to happen. They have to go to the priest. They have to. So the day that you go to the priest before, the, before you do that, your daughter asks you to have one last tea party. You enjoy your tea party with your beautiful daughter. You wrestle with your son. And then you make that long journey to the priest. And the priest looks. And then I believe I've got it in the back. It, Le- Leviticus 13, 2 through 4, the priest sees your disease. He sees it right there. And what the priest said is if he, if he identifies it, he was a doctor, he knew the law, if he saw it as leprosy, he would say, unclean. And he would walk you out of the city. You would be walking out and you would see your wife. You would see your kids. You would, be, you would see them, and they would be quickly dismissed and distanced from you because you would no longer be allowed to have contact with anyone in the city. You were now seen as an outcast. You were now seen as the forgotten. You were now pushed to the outskirts. You were gone. You were, you were a disease, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. Every part of you was cursed by God. And he's brought out. And tradition said that many lepers carried a bell. Ringing that bell everywhere that they went. Can you imagine that? For some, they even had a 14-foot pole. Because that was what you were supposed to now stay. You were supposed to stay back 14 feet. This was this man's life. That the disease began to grow. And it, it, it Now, the blood filled up in his eyebrows, and they curled over his eyes just like a lion. It impacted your larynx to where when you spoke, you sounded like you were growling. You, you emitted a horrific smell. That It got so bad that you were defined as a leper. In fact, Mark 14, Jesus is eating with a collection of guys, and there's one guy, Simon the leper. He's healed. He's clean. But he's still called the leper. Really? I mean, come on, he's he's good to go. Let the leper thing go. But in that culture, leprosy defined you. It defined you. Emotionally, it caused a level of loneliness that no one has even an idea about. I mean, I've heard it said that loneliness, uh, in its base form, when it's intense, it's like smoking a half a pack of cigarettes a day. That's how the impact is on you, personally, with your physical body. Imagine what it is with this man. He's distanced. He is a desperate man. For most of us, we hear stories like, like this, and we don't know a desperation like that. But I, I think it's a different type of desperation. I'll explain it like, like this. I heard a story a, while, a long time ago. There's a guy by the name of Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy had warts. Uh, warts, on. if you've ever had warts, they're embarrassing, they're they 're painful, but the roots go down really deep and so he uh, was trying to figure out how do I get rid of these warts and so he began to put a collection of, of ointments on these warts. The more warts he put on them, the worse the warts got but he was doing he was just kind of like doing it by himself, trying trying to like wear gloves a lot I mean he, he just he was trying to figure out how do I get rid of these warts, but it got to a point that he got so desperate to get rid of his warts he happened to be uh, a night guard and he had a Colt 45. It's a gun. So what? This this is a true story. Sean Murphy. You can Google it from London. He takes this Colt 45 out, and he's in his own home. He's so desperate to get rid of the warts that he points the trigger at his finger, thinking it's just going to take off like the end. He pulls the trigger. It removes the whole finger. He gets arrested for illegal gun use, which is kind of funny, not kind of not. Um, and he, he, goes to, he goes to the hospital, and the nurses are gathering around him and going, Sean, was it worth it? And he goes, yeah, it was, but the only concern I have is the warts are going to come back on my nub. We have a different type of leprosy. It's called the leprosy of the soul. And for many of us, we deal with that every day. It's when you look in the mirror, and with this man, he was defined as a leper. He was the desperate man, a leper. For some of us, we are Corey Bendix, the addict. Corey Bendix, the quitter. Corey Bendix, the divorcee. Corey Bendix, I can't keep a job. Corey Bendix, I'm so angry, I constantly release what I am on everyone around me i can 't control it. see most of us don 't have physical leprosy, but Jesus thankfully isn 't the whole point of the story isn 't just about a physical problem is that it 's a physical problem that is expressed in a spiritual need that all of us have and guess what there 's nothing that this man could do to fix this leprosy. He was at the end, he had no hope, and you and I. We actually think that if I just have enough money or if I have the right job or if I go to the right city, we think that if we can create a concoction of answers, it can heal the leprosy that is raging in our soul. And the answer that this man comes to is, I don't have an answer. He's a desperate man. He comes to Jesus knowing that the process and the progress of him going from the outskirts... I mean, I'm sure that he's, his wife remained in touch with him and maybe even brought him some bread one day. And said, honey, honey, there might be a man. There might be a man who, who he's healing people. He's destroying the power of, of Satan. I mean, he's doing things. He might be the answer. He might be it. And... He leaves the bread behind. He rises up with the nubs on his feet. And he just finds a way to run. And he runs through all of the crowds. Did he say unclean? I have no idea. I think that he probably didn't. And he is breaking every law possible. He is, he is creating this response that is, that is so scandalous. He had a scandal in his soul. And the only one that could heal it was the scandalous grace of Jesus. When we think of scandal, we think of, of that which explodes, that which we hide, that which brings damage, that which is, is an ongoing process that now finds its way to us and explodes right in our face. This dude had a scandal. He had a, he, there was nothing he could do. And he says that he showed up. He was desperate. He was humble. And he was passionate. He was passionate. He shows up. And he says, are you willing, if you are willing? he See, even him saying that, he was saying, God, you're God. Like, you're God. I be, you, are, you have the power. The question was, do you have the compassion, Jesus? And I love the response. Jesus has a deliberate touch. And what Jesus does is unbelievable. It says that, that first of all, everybody, just think of it. Everyone is taking a step back. Just guess what Jesus does. Man, this king steps up. Do you know that Jesus steps up to where you are today? He he steps up to the depravity of your soul. He doesn't back away. He doesn't back off. He steps up and he says that he had, uh, one translation says he was indignant. Others say he was compassionate. Others say he had pity. I love it all. Because it's the two-sided coin of a God who hates what sin has done and then has an answer to do something about it. We have a God who's indignant. He hates what's been destroying you. He's not disconnected from you. He hates it. He hates it, and then he has an answer. It's one thing to be really passionate about something but have no power. It's another thing to have a lot of power and have no compassion. This God has both. And they kiss in the, in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And not just does he, and that, that word, he's compassionate, it's this from the guts. Like it wasn't just a cerebral thought, it was from the inside. Like when Jesus looked onto Lazarus when he's dead, it said he had compassion from the guts. It was almost like some translations even go far go so far as to say he's he's foaming at the mouth. He's so mad. He's mad at what sin has done. But now he reaches out and he touches it. He touches it. And I love how this Greek word is really, it unpacks this whole idea of of he now extends fire. He creates a fire that now the reign of sin and death that had been carried in this man meets a contagious holiness. It's a contagious holiness versus this, this death that had been wreaking havoc and destroying him. And guess what? He reached down and he touched him. And when he touched him, everything comes back into place. I mean, just imagine, like your ear comes back, your eye comes back. Man, that, 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 that place in your eye where it's just bleeding, like it's just removed all the filth, all the stain, even the identity of who he was. It, it meets a contagious holiness that just doesn't heal him, cleanses him, yeah. cleanses him. When I was 10 years old, I'm going to bring you into my life real quick. When I was 10, I was introduced to a world that changed the trajectory of my life. Actually, I was nine. And it was through seeing some things with a magazine. It was introduced to me, and it shaped me. For the next nine, about nine to 10 years, most of my world was, um, it was wrapped around this issue of filth in my heart. Not just looking at something, See, it's one thing to be guilty, it's another thing to be ashamed. When you're guilty, you've messed up and you know it. When you're ashamed, you are the problem. And I was ashamed. And in my shame, I would run to that which I was introduced to. It was one night, I was watching a a video, and I was late at night, and out of nowhere, I received a touch on my shoulder. It wasn't just a normal touch, it was a grab. Startling. And I looked up and it was my father. Locked eyes with me. Came down. And he said, I love you. We're going to get you out of this. A touch that instantly brought conviction. It brought sadness. But then, ironically, it brought hope. That now I'm not struggling alone. I'm not silent anymore. This thing isn't just ruling and reigning over me. It's not overpowering me. Now I have, I have someone who's reached into my world, touched me, awakened me, and now wants to walk with me to get out, get the heck out of there. And what we have in Jesus Christ is one that reaches in and he touches you. He touches me, and he just doesn't say, now just go ahead and get it right. No, no, he walks with us, and then ultimately he gives us the church to help us with the journey. This God touches us, but then he concludes it with a divine design. Is, that, is that with, with Jesus, what I love about even the idea of what he's done is this whole hope of a great exchange. It's a great exchange. It's what a theological word is, propitiation. It's, it's, this, it's this beautiful picture of how Jesus absorbs our sin, gives us his life, but then pays the penalty for what, what we deserve. And what, what, what you have in this, in this moment from verses 43 to 45 is, it, it, is, if you can, take a step back and look at all of the places in the Old Testament where we, fee, where we see this great exchange. Like, for example, Genesis 3, 20. You have a great exchange where Adam and Eve, they deserve sin. They they deserve death for their sin. What does Jesus, what does God do? He takes an animal and he kills it and he creates skin. Again, it's God's answer for our sin is never killing us, which we deserve. But it's always putting the penalty of that on something else. And so you have it with Moses. And the process of Exodus 12, where the people of Israel are coming out of bondage into freedom, into freedom. And, and what are they told to do? Take a lamb, kill it, put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost as a sign that, that something else has taken on the penalty of your sin and it gives you life and freedom. Even the whole Levitical system is, is amazing. I know Leviticus kind of trips us up like, no way, no thank you, unless I can't sleep at night, then I'll read Leviticus. Leviticus is amazing because it's one big story of God's plan to take on sin and give us hope and freedom. Even in this moment, even in this story, what this man is being told to do is go to the priest and take two doves. One dove is killed, the blood of that dove is sprinkled on the one that's still alive, and then the one that's alive is released. Even what Jesus asked this man to do, it's pointing to himself. And let let me read very quickly two verses from Isaiah chapter 53, which is, it is the suffering servant declaration. This is because I think as we read this, what we'll kind of quickly hear, this is not just describing the leper, it's describing Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows. Yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Jesus, him. this He's talking everything about the divine design is about himself. It's about us. Us having hope even when we're surrounded and overwhelmed by filth and things that are rotting us alive, there's hope. Reminds me of this. I'll f- finish with this. This is, this is a life straw. Um, if you ever find yourself in a place where you have no access to water, which, like, not many of us like, think we're good, right, with water, but if you ever decide that you want to go into the wilderness and then survive, the life straw is your friend. Because what the life straw does is it gives you access to take this straw that filters out every poison. You can dip it into any stream, no matter how filthy it is. And guess what you can get? You can get the life-giving source of water. Everywhere you go, you always have access to life because of the life straw. What Jesus is saying in this, in this amazing story is that the divine design of hope and life is found in himself that now we don't just have to that's good news isn't it we we don't we don't have to just come to church anymore and just like check off god by going to church check off god by i gave a little check off god by no no we have We've been given a life source. We've been given hope. You have now been given through the sacrifice of Jesus. This scandalous grace has been extended to deal with your scandal, whatever it is. And for many of us, we're going to listen to this message, and we're going to take the glasses of grace off, and we're going to put them down and go back to normal life. Or we can come to this king like this man did with humility with passion, with desperation, and we can say, Father, King, I give you everything. I, I, I received you when I was a kid, but man, I'm hearing the hope of a, of a Savior who has offered, who has gone so far to offer me life, and I don't want to walk away from it. I want to receive it. I want to every day follow the one who's made me free. And this is our opportunity not to just take off the glasses of grace, but to ask God to permanently put those into the way that we see our world. Let's pray.